And we actually caught that water leak. Was it on Thursday that we caught it? Yep. So uh, we, we do need to give a, a shout out to O'Fallon City because they came out on Thursday and shut it off. And then we're very gracious to come this morning around 7.30 or 8 in the morning to turn it on so we could have church today and not have to mess with anything regarding the water. And then they're going to shut it off again today. So, um, yeah, we definitely appreciate their willingness uh, to do that. And that is a huge blessing to us. All right, we are in the book of Colossians chapter 1, if you want to turn there with me. In verse 9, it says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Lord, what a privilege it is to to gather with the saints, to sing your praises, to sing about how worthy you are, to sing about the blood of your Son and how it covers us. Lord, we thank you that we can meet together. We thank you for O'Fallon making it possible for us to have running water today. Lord, we thank you that we can even figure out the schedule for the rest of the week, even though we'll be without water for a couple of days, we can still have classes. So we thank you for this building. Um, with all its bumps and bruises, God, you continue to use it. You continue to provide the funds to, to fix things as they need fixing, and, and even things to be made uh, looking a little nicer. So thank you for that, Lord. And we thank you, God, that you are so good to us time and time and time again. Lord, help us now as we look into your word. We pray for the pulpits across this land and across the world digging into your word today, some having to do it in hiding, Lord. And we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters that they'd continue to be faithful, to be faithful to you, Lord, to the end, God. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, so may they be faithful. And for those places that can proclaim it openly, Lord, may they do so, and do so accurately, righteously, uh, to your glory. We pray you continue on with us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I've been uh, warning y'all about a Bible quiz coming up for a couple months now. And today's the day. All right, so you, you, have, uh, you can either use your phones if you want, so pull out your smartphones if you want to write down your answers, or each row had some pieces of paper and a pen, so you can, you can grab a piece of paper and a pen if you want to write down. It's, it's 20 questions, all right, so you're not going to remember them. <clears throat> We're going to see how you all do. I got this uh, uh, from a YouTube clip. It went through 20 questions I thought were good, so that's where I got it from. You guys ready? Yes. All right. One person's ready. (laughs) Here we go. First question, name the first three Israelite kings. Name the first three Israelite kings. We don't need anyone speaking out loud. (laughs) If I can hear you, everyone else can. Set question two, where did Jesus grow up? Write it down. Where did Jesus grow up? (laughs) Yes, we do take off for spelling. No, you're just writing the answer. You're just writing the answer. You get points off for that question, Justice. (laughs) Question three. Who lived in Ur and moved to a country he did not know? Question four. What were the occupations of Cain and Abel? Question five, who prophesied, unto us a child is born? 
Unto us a son is given. Next question, how many books are in the Bible? And then break it down, Old Testament and New Testament. How many years of... Why is there whispering? (laughs) How many years of famine did Joseph prophesy to Pharaoh? What is the name of Jacob's youngest son? That's question eight. Next question, what is Noah's first act when he emerges from the ark? What's his first act when he emerges from the ark? Question 10. Who are the sons of Zebedee? Question 11. How many people were saved on the ark? Question 12, who said man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart? And to whom did he say it? Who said it, and who did he say it to? Also, I'm getting some reverb up here on the stage. All right, next question. What type, I really hope you all know this one. What type of animal did Balaam ride? You can put the King James answer if you want. (laughs) Question 14. Who commanded the sun and moon to stand still? Question 15. Which of Jesus' miracles is recorded in all four Gospels? Which of Jesus' miracles is recorded in all four Gospels? Question 16. What is the other name for Mount Horeb? Seventeen, what were the names of the mother and grandmother of Jacob? Mother and grandmother of Jacob. Eighteen, which two men are recorded as not having died? Which two men are recorded as not having died? Nineteen. Who made the golden calf? Twenty, which disciple found a coin in the mouth of a fish? All right, should we see how y'all did? All right, the first three Israelite kings, 
Saul, David, Solomon. Where did Jesus grow up? <clears throat> Nazareth. We can argue about Egypt later. <clears throat> Who lived in Ur and moved to a country he did not know? Abraham, Abram, we'll take either. Only because I'm feeling generous today. What were the occupations of Cain and Abel? What was Cain? Worker of the ground. Abel? Keeper of sheep. Okay, who prophesied unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given? Isaiah. How many books are in the Bible? 66. Old Testament? 39. New Testament? 27. How many years of famine did Joseph prophesy to Pharaoh? Seven. What is the name of Jacob's youngest son? Benjamin. What is Noah's first act when he emerges from the ark? Builds an altar and offers sacrifice. Who are the sons of Zebedee? James and John. How many people were saved on the ark? Eight. Who said man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart? God to Samuel. What type of animal did Balaam ride? Donkey. Who commanded the sun and moon to stand still? Joshua. Which of Jesus' miracles is in all four Gospels? Feeding of the 5,000. What is the other name for Mount Horeb? Mount Sinai. What were the names of the mother and grandmother of Jacob? Rebecca and Sarah. Which two men are recorded as not having died? Enoch and Elijah. Who made the golden calf? Jah. Elijah. Yes. Who made the golden calf? Aaron. Which disciple found a coin in the mouth of a fish? Peter. <clears throat> okay. Here's the thing. It's kind of like, I feel like I'm back teaching in the class again. Because we got the people over here that are like whispering and laughing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and some in the back too, all right? <clears throat> it's easy to see many things from up here, y'all. But here's, here's really my point. <clears throat> One, we need to know the Word, right? We need to know the Word. So if you're reading the Word and reading the Word and reading the Word, you'll know the answers to, to many of these questions. Um, two, this is knowledge. So we've talked about knowledge is good and that it's good, it's good for us to know these things. It's good to know our history, right? Like this is our history. So when we're talking about biblical theology, that's the idea of this story woven throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end. And so even when we're looking at a particular story, uh, whether it's King David uh, worshiping and his wife, um, criticizing him for it, or whatever story it might be, the question is, like, how is God working in that particular story? And what is God doing? And we should always see God at the center of each story. We should see him at the center of each story. So it is good for us to know these things. We want to be people that are biblically literate. Biblically literate. Um, does, this, does this knowledge save us, though? No. Uh, I mean, a hundred years ago, uh, people inside and outside the church could probably answer many of these questions. Um, now today, uh, people outside the church probably couldn't answer probably uh, 
three or four of these questions. Um, people in the church struggle with it. We want to be a people that are biblically literate, that we know the word. Part of the reason for it, and I'll probably touch on it more next week, this is more of a side note, but that if we're steeping ourselves in the word, then when the next false teaching comes along, and it will, if we're already steeped in it, we'll, we will be much more ready to spot it and not be duped by it. What happens is, is because people don't know the word, these, some of this is just basic, basic Bible knowledge, right? We didn't even get into fancy words that codify certain principles or terms, like let's define justification, let's give a biblical definition of sanctification. Those could be part of the quiz uh, in the future. But if we're, not, if we're not steeped in the word, then what happens is this, is the false teaching comes along and we're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I'll, I wonder if that, and, and then we can get hooked before we even know it. Now, false teaching never just shows up and announces itself as false teaching, right? Right? It usually comes in very subtly. And it always comes in as the guise of truth and something good and righteous and whole. But if we're steeped in the word, then when that false teaching comes, we can already spot it before it even gets any type of little hook in us and starts to take root. So when we talk about a knowledge, there's a, there's a general knowledge and a revealed knowledge. There are some things we couldn't know unless God himself revealed it to us. Some people use the term natural revelation versus special revelation. So look at Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. What's the idea here? <clears throat> What's that? You can look at creation, and it's crying out that there is a God that he truly exists, that he has established this creation that we have. The entire universe is his. What does it say? Day to day pours out the speech. Every single day that we're going along, right, is a testimony. You can look outside and realize there is a God. This is the idea of natural revelation. Some people might call it more of a general revelation. Romans 1 hits on this very same concept. Look at Romans chapter 1. Verse 19 of Romans 1, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. And then he goes on. So what can be known about God is plain. So it's plain. Why? Because God's shown it. How has he shown it? For his invisible attributes, verse 20, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. And what's the conclusion? So they are without excuse. Every single person, every single person, every single person has this general, uh, this general, if you want to call it, knowledge or this natural revelation that has been given. Every single person, even the tribe in Africa buried in the deepest of jungles, they can look and see that there is a creator God. And they can learn a few things about him. His invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, it's been clearly perceived. Now, what do we do if we keep reading in Romans? We end up exchanging the truth for a lie, right? We exchange the truth for a lie, and we turn the creator into the creature. Where do we get the idols from? Why are we worshiping bowls? Why are we worshiping casts? Why did the Israelites get so off track at the foot of a mountain where God was doing amazing things? And what do they fashion? What do they fashion? The calf, right? The golden calf. They turn the creator into the creature, and they end up worshiping the creature. That, that's what Romans is hitting at here. But every single person, every single person, no one has an excuse. Just from natural revelation alone. Now, when we talk about special revelation, that's how God's <clears throat> basically 
revealed himself through miraculous means. That could be physical appearances of God, dreams, vision, the written word of God, and most importantly, Jesus Christ. That's the special revelation. So we are privileged and blessed. We have the special revelation recorded in the Bible. And even in a broad sense, that's available to all. Now, it's given to God's people, but it's available to all. So in verse 9, which we read in Colossians, if you go back there where it talks about being filled with the knowledge of His will, it's not just knowledge in general. You know, you, you go to class, you go to uh, university, you go to high school, you're taking different classes, you're taking English, you're taking science classes, all those different things you're learning. Now you're blessed because you're learning about God's creation, right? You're learning about the very thing that He created. But here it's the knowledge of His will, but we make a mistake sometimes. Because the knowledge of His will, look what it says it needs. It needs to have the spiritual wisdom and understanding. We want to be filled with the knowledge of His will, but guess what? We need something along with that. We need all the spiritual wisdom and understanding. Well, here's the thing. When people talk about God's will, a lot of times they confuse uh, two different aspects of His will and kind of commingle them together, which causes confusion. So when we talk about God's will, there's His revealed will. Those are the things that are plain and clear. And then there's His hidden will. Revealed will would answer questions like this. Does God want me to rob my neighbor? Yes or no? No. Well, how do we, how do we know that's God's will? Like He's revealed it. It's in His Word. We can look at it. We can point to a verse. Does God want me to sleep with my girlfriend? No. How do we know that? It's in the Word. We can point to a verse. Does God want me to cheat on my spouse? No. How do we know that? He's revealed it, right? Does God want me to change jobs? (laughs) How do we not know that, right? That's part of His hidden will. We don't know. Now we can pray, we can seek, we can, right? We can come up with pros and cons. What's his will? That's his hidden will. Does he want me to buy this particular house? I mean, we can't point to a particular verse to buy that particular house. Right? Hidden will. So, Burkhoff, Louis Burkhoff, says this, the secret will of God pertains to all things which he wills either to affect or to permit, and which are therefore absolutely fixed. The revealed will prescribes the duties of man and represents the way in which he can enjoy the blessings of God. So anytime we see that word will in the New Testament, one of the questions we should ask is, is he talking about his revealed will or his hidden will? Because a lot of times what we do is we always read the hidden will into it. So when it talks about maybe we'd be filled with the knowledge of his will, we're like, man, so I can know which house I'm supposed to buy or which job I'm supposed to take. No, when he's talking about be filled with the knowledge of his will, here he is talking about his revealed will. The revealed will. Everything that he's told us, everything that he's made plain in the scriptures. The revealed will of God. Look at Matthew chapter 6. All right, this is the Lord's Prayer. He says in verse 9, Matthew 6, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Revealed will or hidden will? Kind of tricky, a little bit, but it's the revealed. If it was just the hidden will, we'd basically be praying May what happened, happen. No, we're praying God's will be done. Like, Lord, we want to see the things that you have revealed to us, the commandments that we have, how we're supposed to live and how we're not supposed to live. We want to see that done. Just as it's going on in earth, we want to see it happen here. We want to see it happen. 
So we want to see people walk in the commands of Scripture, walking them out faithfully. Look at Matthew one chapter later, Matthew chapter 7. Verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Revealed or hidden? Revealed. That's a little more obvious, I hope. Right? I mean, it'd be a little, it'd be a, I mean if it was his hidden will, we're like, wow, uh, everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but the one who does his, his hidden will, like, we're not even sure, we can't even really figure that out all the way, and we're going to maybe put that subjectively to some test and hope he, he leads us. No, his revealed will. The one who does what God has shown in his word to walk that out faithfully. The revealed will. The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On and on we could go. Look at numerous passages. We're not going to look at them. The secret will has to do with what some might call the decreeing events in the world. It's called the will of decree. Look at Let's look at Psalm. Oh, let's look at Ephesians, Ephesians 1. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. I mean here we're talking about well, we're talking about a number of, of, of doctrines, but the doctrine of election. Here we are talking about predestination. Is that something God, has God revealed who the elect are? No. No. Like, there's the elect, and then there's the not elect. Now, there's the visible church. We can look around. Guess what? If you're proclaiming Christ, you're part of that visible church. But the invisible church are those that are truly saved, those that are truly know him, those that have truly proclaimed him. Some people can profess, but the heart hasn't been changed. It's a scary thing to think about, right? But there, there are people who profess. Right? I mean, if we went back to, to Matthew, right? Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And what does he say to them? I never knew you. I never knew you. So we can do works and not have salvation. We can make professions and not have salvation. So here, that would be talking about his secret will. It even goes on, if we keep reading to the verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. There, there again, the counsel of his will, right? The things that he has set in place to occur. The will of decree, if you will. There's much confusion on this issue. People talk about, like, I want to do God's will. I want to do God's will. That's great. Guess what? Like, start with the revealed will. Right there. So that's why you, you'll hear me say, and continue to hear me say, like, right here is, is God's will for you. You know? Right here. We can do God's revealed will. Here's the thing. If you have knowledge... Not just the worldly knowledge or general knowledge, but knowledge from above. True knowledge, biblical knowledge, revealed knowledge, and you have the Spirit of God living inside you, able to take that knowledge and apply it. A wisdom from above, like James talks about. Then the result is the following four things that we see in verse 10. Look back in verse 10 of Colossians.
the four things that he lays out, and we'll look at more next week. But he lays out four things in verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work, that's the first thing. Increasing in the knowledge of God, that's the second. The third is being strengthened with all power. And then the fourth is in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. Those are the, those are the four things that tie back into what requires us when we want to talk about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to Him. He gives us those four things. Walking in a manner. What, what is the goal of the Christian life? Glorify God, right? I mean, that's very broad. I get that. But it's to glorify God. How? Well, there's four things here we can do to be fully pleasing to Him. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. When Paul uses this this word here, walk, I think most versions say that. Some might say live. He's picking up on a common Jewish uh, idiom, a biblical idiom about uh, a person's lifestyle is pictured as a road. It's pictured as a road that one travels along. So look at Proverbs 4. You'll see an example of this. Verse 10, Proverbs 4. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. Okay, so we're, we're getting that imagery here of walking in a path, being led in a path. Look what he says in verse 12. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Okay, again, that imagery. He's carrying on the imagery of walking this idea of walking with the Lord. Verse 13, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. We see a similar thing in the very first psalm. If you look there, Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So you can see how, how this imagery is being used not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament to describe like, hey, how is our way of life going to be? How is it going to be? How are we walking? How are we doing in our relationship with the Lord? Are we walking the path of righteousness? Are we walking the path of unrighteousness? Even Jesus talks about what? There's the narrow way and the wide way, right? Choose the narrow way. Again, this imagery of, of, of journeying and going on, walking about as we go throughout life. Why? Because it's something that we can all relate to, right? We walk, we run, we sit, we stand, we do those different things. So it's, it's a very visible thing that we can all relate to, every single one of us. So what, what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to hear back in Colossians, we want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We want to walk worthily. Think about this for a moment. One, notice the high Christology here that we see. We haven't even gotten to verse 15, which like just blows everything wide open about how amazing and awesome Christ is, how He is God. But even already... We've seen it in previous verses, but we're seeing it here again in verse 10. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, who is that talking about, the Lord there? Jesus, all right? It's talking about Jesus. It's not talking about the Father. He could have said the Father. That would have been accurate. But no, he's talking about Jesus here. Walk in a manner worthy of Jesus. Think about that. Why, why would we need to be worried about walking about and following after just some, some ordinary man? Who cares about some ordinary man? No. Walk in a manner worthy of Jesus. Why? He's still living. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. That's the one we want to please. The way we're living it out and the way we're acting, it reflects on Him and it reflects to Him. So we want to make sure we're doing it 
in a way that is glorifying to him. Not just to the Father, true, but also to the Son. And think about it for a moment. What are we as believers? We are, he tells us right there in verse 2, we're the saints, to the saints and faithful brothers. Like if we've been bought by the blood of the Lamb, we are, you could translate it, the holy ones. We're the holy ones. What do holy ones do? They walk in holy ways, right? They walk in righteousness. So we want to act and behave in a way consistent with our status. What are we? We're the saints, right? We want to walk in a way that shows that we actually are the saints, that we actually are part of the elect, that God actually has done a work in us. So however we're walking, it should truly reflect that in every single step. Every single step. So to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is to lead a life consistent with what God has done for us already. He's already done it. We're going to walk consistent with that. What has he done? Well, we find out in verse, 5, in verse 13, he's delivered us. He's delivered us, right? He's our deliverer. And what has he delivered us from? The domain of darkness. Every single one of us. We were locked in chains and we were bound and we were in darkness. And what did Jesus do? He set the captives free. Set the captives free. Came and broke those chains and took us out. And he just said, hey, hey, man, just, you're free, like, do your own thing and have a good time and, you know, just pray to me occasionally. No. He, he transferred us from the domain of darkness. And what did he do? It, it, keep reading. It transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Right? So, I mean, so he's delivering us, but he's de- delivering us from one kingdom to another kingdom. Right? That's why, like, when we think about our salvation, sometimes, like, sometimes, let's just, like, we just look at it real short-sighted, guys. Ladies, we, we just look at it real short-sighted. And we think, okay, we, we kind of almost stop like halfway about what God has done for us. Oh, he's freed us from our sin. Yes. But guess what? He's made us a slave of righteousness. <clears throat> he's taken away what? All those sins. But what does he give us? His very righteousness. We always stop like halfway about taking away the sins. And it's the same here. It's like, oh, he's taken us out of the domain of darkness. Well, that is true. And that's an amazing thing. But guess what? He's put us and transferred us into the kingdom of the Father. That's amazing, too. And too often, it's like we just stop almost like halfway in the middle of a sentence. We don't really complete the idea. We get focused on on the first half, and we we forget the second half. Like, God does a work, a redeeming work in us, but it doesn't just stop there on the day of salvation. Praise the Lord, it doesn't, right? Like, it continues on. So we have His Spirit that fills us, So there is a day of salvation, there is a day of regeneration, there is a day of justification, but there's also a day of sanctification. And that continues on. And we're walking in the sanctification that comes by God himself, that he gives to us. And we're walking in that newness of life, not the oldness of life. We always think, oh man, I've been freed from the oldness of life. True. But we're walking in the newness of life. It's It's a beautiful thing. So what dominion are you in? That's what you need to ask yourself. Just if you're, if you're not a believer, just for a moment, if you're not a believer, like you're in that domain of darkness, you have the chains on you, you need to let the Lord set you free. It's only him who can set you free. He's the only one with the key. But let him come and set you free. Because if you are free, you are free indeed. So are, are, are we worthy? Like, no, not at all. Of course not on our own. We're not worthy. We're not worthy apart from Christ. But he is the one that makes us worthy. And here he's talking about specifically walking in a worthy way. Okay? It's saying live a life that is worthy. It's not really talking about our worthiness. We could talk about that. But rather the life we are living and whether the life we're living is a worthy life. Is it consistent with the testimony that we believe and proclaim. So there's a clear idea presented here that our lives should exemplify the truths and commands of Scripture. 
Like if people could examine your life, not just, I mean, anyone can fool anyone for an hour and a half on Sunday, all right? You can even fool people for a couple hours on Friday night. It's possible, right? We all know people that have done that. But if we could look at your life when no one else is around, like if we could examine that, would we see things that align with the Word of God? Would we see that? Would we see that as the characteristic? Would we see that as the overarching picture that what you're doing in the, in the hiddenness, in the, in the secret, what you're doing when no one's looking, what you're doing when you got all your downtime, that it reflects a saint. If it doesn't, and you're a believer, you need to repent. If it doesn't, and you're not walking with him, you need to get right with Jesus. We need to make sure words match actions. Here's what 1 John says in chapter 3. He says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. He's saying, yes, we want the words and the talk, but guess what? Talk can be cheap, right? Anyone can say the right things. I mean, it's easy to lie, right? It's easy to lie. I mean, I hope it's not easy for believers, but you know what I'm saying. We can just tell a lie if we wanted to. Hopefully we don't. But, but talk is cheap. What, what is John saying? We're not just doing the words, but we're doing the deeds. We're not just doing the talking, but we're walking it out. We can see it in action. Words match actions. So what we do should match who we are. And who are we? Saints, right? Back to verse 2. We're the saints. Now here's the thing. The Reformation comes along. Martin Luther and people before him and people after him. They had a strong emphasis on what we'd call the solas. The five solas, right? Sola gratia, like grace alone. Then sola fide. What's that? Faith alone. Sola scriptura. Scripture alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. And then, anyone know the last one? Soli Deo Gloria, to, glory to God alone. So these come along, <clears throat> and, you know, Luther, it's like he, he found anew the true gospel. It had been buried, sadly, by the church. But he found it anew. And what's the emphasis? Rightly so. We're saved by grace alone, by faith alone, by Christ alone. Right? Not by works. Right? And so us Protestants do a great job of making sure there's a, a clear you know, demarcation between salvation and works. But if we're not careful, we can end up falling off into a pit of just like an easy believism and that a saved person, they, they don't even have to do anything. They just, there's nothing there. That the, the emphasis on works, it, it's not just buried. It's almost like we, if we're not careful, we can make the opposite error that, that Rome made and just get rid of works completely. Good works are a good thing. Amen? Now, here's the thing. There's no merit in good works. What do I mean by that? Doing good works does not earn you any favor with God. Okay? Now, if you think you're saved by works, yes, you need to do certain things so you can earn better favor with God, and then hopefully the scales tip at the end. Listen, you don't want the scales being weighed. Really. You don't want the scales at the end, good works versus, versus bad works. Okay? Uh, all of us lose that one. We all lose that one, big time. So we don't even want it that way. Even if it was, we wouldn't want it that way. It's not. But good works are a good thing. There's no merit in good works, meaning you don't earn favor with God. Works aren't done. We don't do those works to earn it. Works are done because we love him. We're thankful for what he's already done for us. We're not doing it to earn something from us. Everything that we could earn, we can't earn on our own, but Christ has already earned for us. It comes through him. 
He's earned it all. So look at, what, uh, look at Romans, Romans 4 for a moment. In verse 1, Romans 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. Did it say Abraham worked? No. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. I mean, he's, he's citing from, from where in the Bible? Genesis, right? I mean, he's, he's quoting it. What does the scripture say? That's what, I mean, that's his question, and then he answers it. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. You could go and look at this passage in the Old Testament. You could go, well, hey, why don't we do that? Genesis 15. Let's start in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, has Abraham done anything at this point? No, right? But he believed. And what happens when you believe? When you truly believe righteousness. You believe in the Son? You believe in what Jesus did for you? You truly believe in that? Guess what? His, his righteousness is imputed to you. It is, just like it says here, counted to him as righteousness. So back in Romans. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 4, not to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. That's us. We're not working to earn anything because we can't. This isn't like a job. The only wages we get are what? The wages of sin? Death, right? That's the wages we get. If you want to earn something, you're earning it every day. Walking in unbelief as an unbeliever. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Eternal life in whom? Jesus Christ, right? The gift of God is eternal life, and we've got to finish that because that's important. It's eternal life in Christ Jesus. None other, no other. Christ alone, right? Back to the solas. Sola Christus, Christ alone. So works are good. But here's the thing. Some people are like, well, I, I know I don't work for my salvation, so um, now that I'm saved, I'm just not going to work. I mean, if that's the case, you might not have a salvation at all. Okay, We don't do good works to get saved, but if you are saved, you will do good works. Why? Why is that, Pastor? I mean, because think... Think about what God has done for you. He has done the most amazing thing. Every single one of us in this room, we deserve hellfire. We deserve an eternity separated from God with his wrath poured out upon us. And then he comes and redeems us and cleanses us 
and sets us in his own kingdom. And not only that, it's not just, we don't just need to be citizens of the kingdom, but we're children of that kingdom. He adopts us, the enemies of God. He adopts us into his family. And so he redeems us, right? Like, what, what, what should be our, our, our response to that? Like, gratitude, right? Awe, reverence. It should just naturally pour out that, that we want to please and glorify and honor the one who saved us, the one who did that amazing thing. Like, has anyone ever given you a gift, like, kind of just, like, out of, out of nowhere? And they just, maybe, they, maybe they've given you a gift card for somewhere, and it wasn't even Christmas or whatever. Like, you're like, hey, that's kind of cool. Like, I appreciate that, right? Maybe you think a little bit more highly of them. Maybe you're blessed by that. Like, the, 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 the weight that we have been forgiven, the, the, the written record against us, I mean, it'd be volumes and volumes and volumes. It'd, it'd fill this room top to bottom with books of our sins against the holy God. And he comes, and, and he, like, burns the whole library. As far as the east is from the west, right? Well, what does he think about our sins? Well, as far as the east is from the west. So he doesn't remember them. What would, what would be the response to that? The, the God who forgives a, a debt that can't be repaid. Like love and gratitude. And we should be falling on our knees, not just on the day of our salvation, but every day after. Thankful for what he's done through his son Jesus. So works, they go hand in hand with our faith. They're not required for salvation. So a person doesn't do good works to be saved, but a saved person will do good works. Look at Romans. We're still in Romans. Look uh, one chapter earlier. Verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So we have that, but then we see Paul talking about and us being commanded to walk in works, right? To walk in those things. Like look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith. Oh, and then what does it say? Faith working through love. So if we have a faith, if we have a real faith, if we have a saving faith, guess what? It's an active faith. It's a faith that's doing things. It's a faith that's working through love. What does Jesus say? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 2, We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith your work of faith labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our lord jesus christ like it's an act of faith it's doing things and then we have paul telling us in acts if you look there chapter 26 This is Paul before King Agrippa. He says, therefore, verse 19, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God. I mean, that, that's the message, right? Repent, repent and turn. Turn to God. Who is he telling that to? Those in Jerusalem, those in Judea, and also to the Gentiles. But what are they supposed to do? Repent and turn 
performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Oh, so you've repented? You've really repented? You've really turned away from that lifestyle and you're walking a lifestyle that is pleasing to God? You've really changed? Perform deeds in keeping with that repentance. That's what he's saying. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In our relationship with God, we want to grow. I want to grow. You want to grow? I want to know him. I want to know him more. And I don't, I don't just want knowledge for knowledge's sake. There's people who want knowledge for knowledge's sake. There's people that are very learned in all sorts of, of fields. And, and God is going to call each person here into various fields. And you want to learn that knowledge. You want to be an expert in your craft, if you will. You should seek to excel wherever the Lord plants you, right? But even as you're learning, what, what, regardless of what it might be, computer science, computer programming, engineering, homemaking, whatever it might be. Like, that knowledge is just not for knowledge's sake. Like, it's to glorify the Lord. It's to, it's to walk in a manner worthy of Him that, that shines back to Him who you are. It's for God's glory. Listen, we aren't worthy apart from the blood of the Lamb. But, we're covered in His blood. And think about the doorpost in the Old Testament, right? You, you, you had to cover the doorpost all around it with the blood of the lamb, right? Are you tracking with me? Why so? So, so when the angel came, what would he do? Pass over, right? He'd pass over. Why? Because he sees the blood. He sees the blood. So he passes over. What, is that, what does that mean? The I mean, what happened if you didn't have the blood? Firstborn, gone, right? Dead. Why? Because there was an accounting for sins. God's like, hey, tonight there's going to be accounting for sins. And here's, here's, here's how it's going to go down. No blood, firstborn dies. Now, pretty easy just to take the blood, right? I mean, kind of easy. Just take the blood. And the Israelites did, right? So the angel passes over, but the Egyptians didn't. And what happened? There was a reckoning. What God said came to pass. He's faithful. He's faithful in, in the good and gracious words, but he's faithful in the good and tough words too. So it came to pass, right? Well, guess what? It's like we're that doorpost. We're covered with the blood of the lamb. So the angel comes. He sees what? The wrath is averted. We will not receive the wrath of God. It will not be poured out on his children. Will it be poured out? Yes, indeed it will. And if, if you're here and you don't believe, the only way to avert the wrath of God is by the blood of the Lamb. You've got to be like that doorpost. Right? Because that angel's coming. A day of reckoning is coming. Read it in Revelation. The day of judgment. Closer than we think. If you don't have Jesus, you're going to get the wrath in its entirety and its fullness. But he provides a way now to not receive the wrath. So avert the wrath. Avert it. Trust in Jesus. Look to him as the one who can avert the wrath. Trust in him. Do what Paul just said in Acts. Repent and turn to God. Repent and and turn to God. Walk in a manner worthy of Him. The worthiness we have, it comes from Christ. He makes us worthy, listen, He makes us worthy to stand before the Father, innocent. We're innocent before the Father. We have an advocate, right? Jesus Himself, who took our place. We're declared innocent. And because of that, we've been reconciled with the Father. We have, a, we have a relationship with him, with God himself, the creator of this universe. We've been made right with him. No longer enemies, but we are at peace. We've been reconciled with him. And we want to live in a way that shows that reconciliation to others. We want to live in a way that brings glory to us. We want to live in a way that is worthy of the name of Jesus himself. Amen?
Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you are worthy. You are the worthy one who takes away the sin of the world. That you make us worthy by your blood. That you cleanse us, that you renew us, that you breathe into us new life. Thank you, Father, for sending the Son, for sending the Spirit, for redeeming us, for making us whole and new again, right with you. And may we walk in a manner that glorifies you always. In Jesus' name, amen.